Linda. My maiden name was Robinson. I was married to John Skaggs, who passed away, and then I was married to Judd Pierce, who also has passed away at this time. When were you born? I was born July the 2nd, 1934. Uh, July the 2nd, this year, I'll be 85 years old. I have uh, I had six brothers and sisters. I had two brothers and four sisters. Uh, there were seven children in the family. And uh, I was born north of Petten Junction on a farm in a farmhouse uh, where we lived until I was about five years old. And I remember one thing about the farmhouse, the where our car was parked in a little garage was about the length of a football field from the house. And we got ready one day to go to church. We all got out to the car and realized we didn't have the little sister. She was back, back at the house with her dress tail under a table leg to keep her from crawling around. And everybody thought the other one had her and we were without her, so we immediately went back to get her. But back then you didn't have play pins, you didn't have strollers, you didn't have pumpkin seats. So you the, you put their dress tail under a table leg to keep them from crawling away. That's genius. Yeah. Now that's the first thing I remember of that, where that was. We were all born there in that area. And then we moved out on uh, Highway 51, north of Patton Junction. My, my father started a filling station uh, on, on that street, road, whatever. And we lived there until I was nine years old when we moved to Fredericktown. But while we were there, the thing, one of the things I remember best about that is, again, uh, my youngest sister was still very young, and uh, we, we had a truck garden, what you called a truck garden, you know, we grew vegetables for neighbors too. And when we'd go to work in the truck garden, my mother and all of us would work in the truck garden while my dad was at the filling station, and uh, in order to keep the little one from crawling away, they sat her in a horse collar. So, you know, she would fit in a horse collar and couldn't crawl around then. She was a small baby. And like I said, they had no playpens, no strollers, nothing to hold them. So that's what they did. They put them in a horse collar. That's what my mother did, put her in a horse collar to keep her there while we worked in the garden. And uh, I remember I started school, of course, when I was there, I was going to this little one-room school at Patton Junction. And uh, they started me when I just turned five, and I, my older siblings were going, so they sent me with them. And I went there four years until we moved to Fredericktown. And a couple of things I remember at school uh, that are kind of strange, one of our teachers was named Carl Fadler. And he was originally from down there, the Fadler family, but they were up here later. And he had lost a leg when he was 12 years old, and I don't remember what had caused that. But uh, he was our teacher, and he just got out of high school. He didn't have any college. He was 18 years old, and he was our teacher. Well, one of the years that I was there, one of the four years, we were. it was snow and ice, and we were out playing in the yard or on the driveway, and he was in the car running after us. He was chasing us around the, around the parking lot with his car, 18 years old. And then another thing I remember is 
it was just me and a, a boy called Lee Grindstaff in one grade, in the same grade. And you had double seats back then. Some of the, some of the schools had the desk with double seats, so we sat in the same one. And one day we had to go up. We had to be punished. Uh, and I can't remember if it was Carl Fadler or one of the other teachers. Bessie Kreitz was another one. But anyhow, to punish us, they made us, the two of us, go up and stand in front of the class with our noses together, a boy and a girl. So you can imagine about the second grade that that was really punishment. But then we also had the uh, seat we sat in had a broken place. It kind of separated when you sit down on it. So they knew there was a book salesman coming that day. And our teacher, and that was same teacher, and a couple of the eighth grade boys decided that they'd play a trick on him. He was a big, big, heavy man, huge. So they separated that crack with some rocks. So they stood open until he sat on it and the rocks fell out and pinched his rear. And they thought that was really quite a trick that they did that day, which it was. It was honorary. But other than, other than that, when I lived out on 51, I don't remember too much. I do remember that what we used to take for lunch most every day, my mother would have sweet potatoes baking in the wood stove overnight, and we had a baked sweet potato and a, a fresh-baked biscuit with uh, butter on it because we had our own butter and everything, and that was our lunch we'd take to school. And I, best I remember, just, just about every day is what we had. Uh, one other thing I remember is while we were living there, my father wasn't making anything out of the filling station, and he closed it up, and he went to Fort Leonard Wood and helped build the army camp at Fort Leonard Wood. He was a carpenter, and uh, he went there, and he'd stay two weeks at a time and come back, so we had no car or anything. And one night, my youngest sister, who's six years younger than me, fell against the wood stove in the living room, and her palms left places on the stove where we had nothing. And my oldest brother, who's 10 years older than me, uh, walked from there to, to Patton Junction, where they had a little kind of a, a store of a thing, a little neighborhood store, to get Vicks to put on her hands, to ease the burn on her hands. Now that's about the only thing I remember of, of back then. Uh, after that, my dad got a, a job with St. Joe Lead Company as a carpenter, and we moved to Fredericktown. And that was when I was nine years old and I started fifth grade in Fredericktown. Did you, as far as the burns, did you ever use like just cold water to plunge your hands oh, yeah. into ease yeah. the pain? I, th I think mom did that, but it was it had taken the palm, the skin off the palm. Oh. And so she knew she needed to do something different. And back then it was cloverleaf salve or, or Vicks. That's what you use for everything. So what my dad would put, uh, put on her chest if we had a cold or something. Uh, the other remedy they, they used, if we had an earache, he would blow smoke in our ears to ease it. The warmth of the smoke, he'd smoke a cigarette or a pipe, which he didn't normally, but he would, and blow smoke in our ears. And the funny part of that was we had a lot of earaches and a lot of toothaches. And uh, they would doctor our toothache, but I never saw a dentist till I was 15 years old. And uh, my dad used to get really angry when we'd cry at night with the tooth toothache, you know, we did a lot. Mm -hmm. So many, many years later, 
My mom called one night and she said, I want you to come over. Said, get a hold of your other two sisters that live in Fredericktown, come over. And I said, what for? And she said, just come over, I want you to see. And we got over there and my dad had a toothache. And my mother called us so we could see what dad was like with the toothache. <laughs> so uh, that did much you, I remember Did about. you use anything special for the toothache? I can't Clove remember. oil or something? I don't know what we did for his. I know, no, he just, he just put Vicks in our mouth or in our nose and that was supposed to help it. And I don't even remember if we had aspirin or not. We, of course, didn't have indoor plumbing. We didn't have electricity, none of that. I mean, I'm talking about almost 80 years ago, 75 to 80 years ago. So about how many miles was it to go from your house to Patton Junction? About two miles. About, I figure it was, I tried to figure up recently because I started going down to Patton to the uh, saddle club grounds where they have what they call happy old peoples. And they have a dinner and, and bingo once a month. And and I started going down there, and so I started trying to figure out just about how far he walked, and best I would c could come up with is about two miles. And I just can't get over your teacher who played a trick on a book salesman. How mischievous! Well, you can just see being eighteen. Yeah, he was he was he quite was a, a quite a guy, and I I knew him up until the day he died. I when I moved to Fredericktown and then grew up. I got acquainted with him and his family, and one of his sons now is a real good friend of one of my children now. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we moved to Fredericktown when I was nine. Uh, I can't, I, I don't, well, I remember when my dad had the filling station. We had a, a man, his name was Earl Mills, and he delivered the gasoline down there all the time, and I was terrified of him. I was absolutely terrified. And he would bring me treats and things trying to, you know, get... Well, one day when he came, now they tell me this. I don't really remember this, but my mom and my sisters told me. <coughs> one day when he came, I was so frightened that I got in Dad's car and locked all of the doors. And they couldn't convince me how, after he left, couldn't convince me how to unlock the door so I could get out, you know, and I, I was even more terrified then, you know. And they said I was sitting there with my arms straight out on the steering wheel, bracing myself, you know. But uh, they eventually had to break a window to get to me. They finally did that. And I was so, so frightened. It was so terrible. But And then we moved to Fredericktown in September, after I turned nine in July, in September. And I started not, uh, fifth grade. I was younger than everybody else because I had started at five, except one other girl uh, that lived around the corner from where we moved. And she was the first person I met. She was in my grade. And uh, now, 76 years later, we see each other every two weeks. We're, we've been friends for 75 plus years and uh, best friends. We lived together in St. Louis when we worked there and all of that, but that's where I met my first real close friend. Mm -hmm. And that's when I moved there at nine, at nine years old. And as it happened, she had started school at four. So mm -hmm. she wasn't gonna be nine until November. So she was even younger. So all through our school years, we were the two youngest students in our classes, youngest of all of them. Now that's up to Fredericktown. And then Fredericktown, I remember, Again, we didn't have indoor plumbing. We did have electricity, and the f first house was on High Street in Fredericktown. And uh, we did have electric, I remember that. And 
Of course, that was just two or three blocks from school, so I went home every day for lunch. Mm -hmm. And uh, once in a while, I'd ask some other little kid to go with me and, and uh, have lunch with me. And I never thought anything about it. My mother would have maybe cornbread bread and beans, you know. Well, some of these kids never heard of cornbread and beans, you know, because they didn't grow up on farms and didn't grow up as poor as I was because we were poor. Uh, I, and a, a story that I tell all the time has something to do with this. My, bro oldest, my brothers were the oldest. Uh, one was 10 years older and one was 8 years older, two years. Then it's two years down to my sister, Wanda Green, who passed away the 8th of this month. And then my other sister was... Uh, uh, four years older than me. And, I, and then it's four years down to me, and then four years down to my next sister, who was two years older than the younger one. Mm. And so I said to them one time, why is there two years between every one of the family except me? And there's four years in front of me, four years behind. And my dad was real dry-witted, real funny, but dry. He said, well, it took four years to get you. And it took another four years to decide if we wanted to do that again. So he really had a sense of humor. And he always told me that my mother didn't like me as much as all the other kids. He'd say, she doesn't like you. Finally, I said to him one day, why? He said, because I'm named you after my old girlfriend. And I asked my mother, she said, that's true. He named you after his old girlfriend. And he had dated my mother this is going back to something else. Maybe I'm backtracking. He had a first date with my mother on her 17th birthday. And uh, while they were out on this date, she had an older sister who had six little children, a baby and then five bigger ones. And her husband had gone off and left her, was a tramp. And she was driving a horse and buggy. And uh, a man came out of a side road with one of the very few automobiles they had back then and blew his horn and frightened the horses and they ran away and threw her out of the wagon and broke her neck. So they were sick. That was my mother's birthday, her first date with my dad. And uh, there were six children that were orphaned that day, same as. So each, each one was taken by some member of the family or something. And my mom and dad... After they got married, they took the youngest one. He was happened to be a year and a half older than my brother, but they took him and raised him. But six different families uh, took those children and raised them as their own. In later years, when I was married to John Skaggs and his dad died, Paul Skaggs passed away. We were going through his papers, and he was the one driving the car that honked and, and frightened the horse that ran away and killed my aunt. Just strange things, you Your know. Your husband's father. Yeah, my father-in-law at the time, yeah. And he was, he, uh, my mother-in-law was going to school in Cape. She was a teacher, and she was going back for summer courses. And he was taking her back to Cape in this new car that he got, one of the few cars that anybody had. And he was driving her around to show her the car and drove out of the side road with his horn honking and frightened my aunt's horses. And then we found out, and I, as I said earlier, uh, her husband had left. He was a tramp, you know, like they had tramps back then. We used to have tramps who would come to the back door and ask for something to eat, and my mother would fix a sandwich and a glass of water and take it out, and she wouldn't let him inside. 
would take it to the back porch. Well, that's what he was doing now. Well, Skaggs' father then got a hold of him and paid him $100 not to sue for anything over his wife's death or his kids. So he came out with $100 and nobody else got anything. And we found the papers on that after Paul Skaggs died. So that was kind of a shocker to, to all of us. But it truly did happen. So that's, that's up to about the time that I started school in Fredericktown. I remember one time when we were coming to Fredericktown from Patton, before we moved there, that down there where they had the original Azalea Festival Park, yeah. you know where that was? Yes. We came upon a terrible, terrible accident. Not a, we weren't in it. Came up on it, and there were like three people dead out mm. there on, on the grass, you know. My mother was trying to find blankets or coats to cover them up and everything, and I remember that quite well. And the reason I remember it is because they were bringing me, come to think of it, I went to a dentist sooner. I was having, my front tooth was really bad, hurting me. And, they, and Dr. McDavid was the dentist in Fredericktown at that time. And his office was above the Sunderman Furniture Building. You know which building? Yes. Okay, Dr. McDavid's office was up there. And he was rough. And they brought me to the dentist, and he did a root canal with no medication. So I never forgot that one. I didn't go back to the dentist until I was 15 years old, I'm sure, because I was afraid to. He was really rough, you know. But that's all we had. That's the only dentist we had. And I do remember that. And then I remember in later years, they told us that Dr. McDavid's wife had a nephew that was a well-known movie star that came to town a lot. Well, I, he did. He came to our classroom one time, and I met him. And it was, I, I don't know if any, either one of you remember, William Holden. Yeah. Well, that was Dr. McDavid's wife's nephew. And he spent a lot of time in Fredericktown. Back then, you know, back and he was probably twenty two or twenty three years old at the time, and very popular and good looking and all of that. He was well known, but that was a, a side thing that I found out afterwards that uh, that's who that was. After I met him, then I didn't like him too much because he was Doctor McDavid's <laughs> nephew. Probably why I didn't, but yeah. And then after I came up to Fredericktown, it was pretty confusing to me because I'd been in little one room school with eight grades. You know, while I was in one grade. All, everybody else was in the same grade that I was, and it was confusing. And my two younger sisters, the one just below me, was four years younger, had just started school. And the other one wasn't in school yet, but the one, Dean, my sister that had started school, contracted a scarlet fever. Mm. And she couldn't go to school, and they quarantined the house so that people that lived next door let me and my other sisters who were still in school too live with the people next door uh, John and I can't think of her name Walker he was a, a city a city patrolman or whatever they had then well, weren't they worried about the quarantine for you to go over there well I don't know but that's they took us in they took you know so that we could go ahead and go to school and he and dad could work you know and my mother would get fixed food and bring it over there so that she didn't have to feed us all the time but anyhow we lived with them for about three weeks well then my sister missed that whole year of school after that uh, I would 
they they tried to get, get her to go to school, and they tried to get me to take her to school, and I'd have to drag her around about a block, her crying and everything, so I'd take her back home. So they kept her out for a year, and then she started the next year. So she happened to be a year behind in school. But anyhow, that was some of our first experiences when we got there. And we lived on that house on High Street for, I can't remember, it's about five years. And then we, my dad bought a house up on a hill next door to what was called the Cobalt Mines here in, you know, the mine that's being rejuvenated now. And there's a house up there pretty close to it. My dad bought that house, and we lived there for a couple of years, and he built a new house down on the road in front of that one. And so I lived there almost all through my high school years until my senior year, and then they bought a house in Fredericktown. In fact, now it's what is now uh, Hill Insurance, Hill's Insurance. Caddy Carter across from uh, Domino Pizzas. And yeah, it was a big two-story house at the time. And so my senior year is when we lived there. So they tore that down? To oh yeah, they tore insurance. it down, yeah. It was a good, a big old house, had the porch you know, around half of it. And I used to say, you know, I could go out one door and then dad wouldn't know I came in the other door, <laughs> but didn't do that many times. But it was a nice big old house, and we had a lot of sleepover parties with the girls in high school back then. I don't, I don't remember too much about my fifth grade through eighth grade, but I, I remember more from my high school years than anything. You know, then I began to, you know, remember things. Anyhow, I, I remember uh, my first boyfriend. His name was Jim Roseberry, and when I was 15, my sister, who lived out in the country near Village Creek, they had a house out there. She had her first baby at home, a little boy, my first niece or nephew or anything. And at noontime that day, same day, Jim Roseberry was out of high school. He was five years older than me. He came to school and picked me up and took me out to see the new baby. So I got to see my first niece, nephew, right. whatever, yeah. 1951, I graduated, yeah, 68 years ago. We had a, a 60th reunion, but we haven't had one since that. Uh, I think there were 72 graduates, I believe, either 72 or 78, I can't remember. But the last time we had a reunion, we, we could not get in contact with but about 28 of them, so most of them are gone already. Like I said, my brothers are both gone. One brother died when he was 67 years old of bladder cancer. And he was like my dad. I told you my dad was so dry-witted and everything. Well, he was in the hospital in Columbia, Missouri. We went up to visit him one time, and my sister, well, four of us, and my sister and I decided to go in first. We went in, and he said, I, I should have known you were out there. Somebody just came in and told me there were two people uglier than me out in the hall. So, And that was the same kind of sense of humor that my dad had shown. But he died right away from that. And then my other brother who was in Second World War. Well, both of them are Second World War, but Paul didn't get any injuries. My brother Lyndall was trapped behind enemy lines, and he lived in the crawl space of a house for 11 days with the German soldiers in residence in the house. Oh, my gosh. And the people who owned the house sneaked them some water and some raw potatoes and raw turnips, and that's what he lived on for that length of time. And uh, how did he get away? 
Well, the uh, enemy got pushed back, and he crawled. They said he crawled two and a half miles to get to his troops, but he knew that the Germans had left, you know. And so, and I remember when, uh, oh, that's hard. Uh, I remember when we got the telegram in December, about the 10th of December, saying, missing, presumed dead. Mm. And uh, that was just before Christmas. Well, we happened to have a mail carrier, and his name was Gus Wagner. And he, you know, back then they delivered twice a day on foot, you know, and everything. He was a good, good, good man. And he knew what we were going through. So Christmas morning, he went down to sort mail to get ready for the next day, and and he found a letter from my brother in a hospital in England. He got in his car and came to our house and made our Christmas. Yeah. I'll never forget. That's, yeah. that's the most Wonderful. unforgettable Christmas I've ever known. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So he came home with shrapnel in his legs and his back, but he was okay. He did well. Um, and he lived to be 87, so he's only been gone. You know, he's 10 years older than me, so he's only been gone eight years. Uh, and my, but my younger brother died at 57. He was very young with the bladder cancer, so that was different, and we lost him. And then I lost one of my sisters three years ago. She had been on kidney dialysis for six and a half years. In fact, her, her husband did one of these interviews, Norman, Norman Boland. Oh, yeah. Well, his wife was my sister, and she died three years ago. And then my oldest sister, who was 90, would have been 91 in August, died the 8th of this month. So I'm the oldest living member of the family now. Well, other than Norman, of course, Mabel's husband. Norman is going to be 89, I guess. But as far as the Robinson family, our family, I'm the oldest one still alive. In high school, I just, you know, I I loved school. And when we had our... uh, graduation the top 10 I was I was in the top 10 I was ninth I think but I was in top 10 of the graduate and I loved school especially art I loved art and Leota Reagan our teacher she had been our teacher in in middle school when I was in fifth sixth grade and when we moved to high school she moved to high school at the same time so we carried a teacher with us that we liked you know really enjoyed and then I had a really good teacher in high school named Eloise Metter, who was the business teacher, the typing, shorthand, all of that. And when I was about, I think it was the year that I turned 15, a gentleman that lived up the street from the, where the Hill Insurance is, uh, Rodenberg Motor Company, it was an old motor company, Pontiac Motor Company, he had gone to the high school to ask our teacher, Leota Reagan, if she would recommend somebody to come and work after school on Saturdays. And she recommended me. And so I lived within the block of where that was. So I worked for him until I gra- and I graduated when I was 16. I was going to be 17 in July after I graduated in May. And I, I worked for him until that summer when I went to St. Louis and worked for Carter Carburetor. I went to work for Carter Carburetor. So long time ago, but yeah, that's what I did. And then uh, I stayed up there a couple of years, and then I came back and married John Skaggs. And this is John Paul Skaggs. John Paul Skaggs, yeah. Carter Carburetor, was that in Ferguson? 
No, St. Louis Avenue ran beside of it and Grand. Grand and St. Louis and uh, back the back one back here. I can't remember. Sprig, I think. Sprig, maybe. But anyhow, Carter Carburet itself with the offices and everything was on, on the corner of St. Louis Avenue and Grand. And that was the that was the manufacturing place. Now their offices, main offices, were down in the theater district, down Grand Avenue. Because uh, what you did when you went to work up there, you went to work in the mailroom, first of all. That was where you started. So for the first three weeks, Twice a day, I would go on the uh, streetcar down to the theater district, to the office down there, and pick up the mail and take it back up to the uh, manufacturing plant. And I did that twice a day for several weeks until I was assigned to uh, engineer drafting with 36 men. I was in the office with 36 men. Mm -hmm. And that's where I worked the whole time. I handled their blueprints and, and kept records of things and so forth. But that was quite interesting, being there with 36 men. And, you know, I loved it. I loved what I did and the, and the people. And when I did get married a couple of years later, several of them came down from St. Louis to the wedding. I was married at St. Michael's in Fredericktown. And several of them, my my original boss and several that I worked with came down for my wedding. So that was quite an experience, too. That okay. was the fair for the streetcar? Was it the plastic yes. mills? Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. Instead of money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was kind of like what they used to call those little things now. There was a name for them, and I can't think what it was now. A but, mill? Yeah, a mill. That's what we used was the mills. But we had some kind of identification that we used that let us get on those the streetcars. Mm-hmm because of our frequent visits down there twice a day. And so, yeah. And then my friend, my friend Bobby, that uh, uh, was up there, she went to work in uh, one of the other offices, I can't remember which, and then her sister and her husband were working out in the factory. There were quite a few people from Fredericktown that worked at Carter Carburetor. Now, a, a real good friend of mine and also a fellow graduate, Lloyd Lamb, that I, I'm seeing part of the time now, uh, he worked there in in the Carter Carburetor. Now, I don't know if you've had any of the lambs in here or not. Uh, Rita Yunt, Rita Lamp, you probably haven't. I don't think so. Well, they all live out west of town, everybody like that. And one time, and it was the Royer family, and the Lamb family, and the Means family, which one of my daughters is married to one of the Means and lives out there. And one time, one of the Royer men said to me, you know that everybody west of the courthouse is related. <laughs> and that's, that's sort of the way it was. This friend of mine brought me here today. He told me that when he was in high school, he was in my grade, when he was in high school, the Royer family lived across the river from him uh, out there in the community. And he said if it would rain, he'd pray that it would rain hard enough that they couldn't cross the river because the one his buddy got to stay all night with him that night. Uh-huh. And each one of them had a different place that they'd spend the night with if they couldn't get back across the river. Mm-hmm. Part of the roads weren't in then. The St. Francis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, out near uh, Millstream Gardens, out in that area. And west, well, the Lambs and the Royers and all of them lived out, I guess, past what you'd call Roselle, out in that area. And there was a, they had come in to school... They didn't come to grade school at Fredericktown. There was a little one-room school down the road 
but they all came to high school in there. And they were like, uh, the Royers was, I believe, eight boys and two girls. And when they when they couldn't get home, they had to find a place to stay, you know, mm-hmm. because they were, and he got to have one of them at his house all the time, he said. And he always looked forward to it, saw it rain and thought, oh, I hope it rains enough that they can't get across the river. So, right. and his friend died recently, Charlie Royer, and they told that at his funeral, that uh, uh, some of the fun things that mm-hmm. they did uh, at, in spite of all this other. But I started to tell you about my boyfriend first, boyfriend in high school, Jim Roseberry. I dated him up until the time I went to St. Louis, and we went our separate ways. And about eight years ago, my daughter, who's a nurse, and she was a nurse at Cleary DeVille then, Joan Means, she called one day and she said, Mom, I think this is Jim they just brought in here, Jim Roseberry. Said they brought him and his wife, and his wife is in the Alzheimer's unit, and she said, I've never seen anybody here with him, never. So I said, okay, I'll come up and find out. Well, I did, and it was Jim, and he had something called aphasia. He couldn't couldn't speak his thoughts, but he could kind of get through to me a little bit, those things, you know, and, and my daughter took care of him a lot. And uh, I come to find out, the day his daughter turned 16, they lived in Piedmont. He was head of the highway department in Piedmont. The day she turned 16, she and a friend drove the car out to Wapapella, or not Wapapella, to Clearwater, and turned it over and killed her. So the girl with her survived, was injured, but survived. And about three years later, that girl married her older brother, the other girl's older brother, the Roseberry boy, Jim and Verna's boy. And he went to work down in Oklahoma with Pence Brothers drilling, and a pipe came around and hit him in the head and killed him. So Jim had lost everything. I mean, his wife didn't know him. She was there, but she didn't know him. His children were both gone. And his brothers, one brother lived in Arkansas. That's all he had anymore. So I started, I started spending time with him. And uh, finally, Dr. Byer told me that I needed to take him out, take him for a ride. So they gave me his car, Jim Roseberry's car. And any time that I had time that I could do it, I could come and get him. He was in a wheelchair. I could come and get him and take him and for a ride, do things with him. And I'd go up and eat lunch with him two or three times a week. They'd, you'd pay so much to eat with him, you know. And that's how I spent time until about three years ago when he died. And my, other, my sister that died recently was in the same nursing home then, so I'd just get both of them. And, I'd, and he, he could indicate where he wanted me to go, you know, mm-hmm. turn this way or that right. way. He couldn't, couldn't verbalize. Uh, but he knew what he was doing, and I, I taught him to write his name. He did get to the point he could write his name. So that's how I spent up until three, three and a half years ago, was taking care of them, you know. And then, and of course, I have six children, had six children. Uh, I actually gave birth to seven, but my seventh one was a stillborn. I raised six children. Uh, two boys and four girls. I'm sure you know some of the girls. Ruthann, Skaggs, uh, Beth Matthews, I think she comes in here. Joan Means, who's married to Otis Means. Uh, that's my oldest daughter. And then my son was next, John Paul Skaggs third, And he died in 06. Of, he'd had staph infection for several years, fighting it. 
and he passed away with staph infection when he was 50 years old. And then soon be, well, my, my second husband died in 2010. Well, in 2011, my baby, my youngest son, was diagnosed with lung cancer. And when we went, I went with him when he was told that. And I asked if they could do a transplant because I figured I, I'm ideal. I've got two perfect lungs, you know. And they said it was too late because it had already metastasized to his spine. So he died four, four months to the day uh, he was diagnosed. He died in de December of 2011. So I have my four girls left and 44 grandchildren. I have 11 grandchildren, 26 great-grandchildren, and the sixth and the seventh great grade are on their way. One's due in June, and the other one this fall. I'll have 45 by the end of the year, 45 grandchildren. And I was at church one day when they were having a contest or something, and I won the most <laughs> grandchildren. They said, do you know all of their names? And I said, yes, all their names and all of their birthdays. I don't know what year they were born. They might be 10 or they might be 30. I don't know their age, but I know the day they were born. I do know that much. I have that much of a memory now. But I lost my mother. Well, I lost my father in 1977. He had a stroke, and uh, my mom had called and said, Can you come over? Something's wrong with your dad. So I went over and called the ambulance, and he never he never came to again. He died on Tuesday morning. I was That was a Sunday night. Tuesday morning, Dr. Byer, bless his heart, met with us, and he said his brain stem is severed. He's not going to get any better. And my brother, oldest brother, said, well, I can't make the decision to take these things off of him. And Dr. Byer said, you don't have to. And then my mother passed away in 1991. She lived another uh, 14 years after he died. Yeah. No, tw yeah, 14 years after he died, and then she died in 91, and she was 86 when she died. My sister was 85, and this one was 90. That, so I'm I'm at the limit now. I'm, I'm, I'm almost as old as many of them have been, but I'm the oldest one of the family. And I, I have, uh, like I said, I have four girls, uh, Ruth Ann and Beth here in Frederick, and Joan here in Fredericktown area, and then I have a daughter, Donna, who lives in California. She's, she and her husband are both retired Navy people. He's, uh, he still teaches at the Naval Base in California and flies across to uh, Rhode Island, Newport, Rhode Island, once a month and teaches there. Uh, she's retired. She had gotten out of the Navy when the uh, Desert Storm, a Desert Storm she had been in 14 years, she got out of the Navy because she had two little children. She was afraid that she was going to get, have to go. And so then she became the, uh, I don't know if you call a manager of what, of the big aquarium out in California. And she was there for quite a while. And uh, then she elected to go back and work on a ship. And she worked on shipboard about 10 days out of each month and photographed marine life on the bottom of the ocean. They had a camera that they lowered and on my computer, she would send me the strangest looking pictures, you know, but she loved it. She did that. And a year or so ago, she retired. She has uh, some grandchildren now, and she retired. Oh, I guess you'd say re she retired. For her 50th birthday, she wanted two black labs. So she got two black labs. So then she decided to foster black labs. Mm -hmm. 
So now she sends me pictures of her running down the street with three black labs on leashes, pulling her down the street. Right. And that's what she does now. But I have that's the only one that's away from here. The rest of my family are all in this area or Farmington or uh, some live at Terre d'Alac, different, you know, but in the area. But Donna's always been uh, somewhere else. She's been, lived in Hawaii, Italy, everywhere. And when she graduated from Mizzou, she graduated with a degree in marine biology. And her second degree was Russian language. And I asked her one day, what are you going to do with marine biology in the middle of the United States? She said, I'm not going to be in the middle of the United States. That and first job she had in the Navy, she was in Florida teaching Russian sailors, sailors underwater warfare. So her Russian came in that, that way, and then also her her water things. When she was in the... My kids were all one after the other. The day my daughter was six years old, I had my sixth one. Exactly the same day, six years later. So I had them one, two, three, four, five, six here. Well, they were all in grades next to each other, and the, and the Catholic school was still going then. Uh, and they were like three of them in one room. They had first, second, and third together. Well, she was in there with her brother and sister. and But she was bored. So our pediatrician down in Cape said, find her something else to do. So we bought a great big aquarium. And I said, I guess that's where it started. Because then she loved that from then on. And that's what she did. And still does. That's still do. Well, no, she's got dogs now. So anyhow, go ahead and ask anything you want. I'm... Do you remember when St. Michael's School closed? Okay, my son went, my baby went there one year. So he was born in 1960. And the year he was six years old, he was first grade. So that would have been 66. And the school closed at the end of that year. He His second grade, he went over to public school and we had a lot of problems because he was not happy with the atmosphere over there you know but and he was used he just his first grade and he wanted to go back to kindergarten he didn't want to go on farther and uh, so it must have been 1966 I guess is when they closed either 66 or 67. Were there still nuns? That's what the problem was. They couldn't get any more nuns. They had the nuns, you know, the house next to the church was mm -hmm. the, the convent. yeah, the convent where the nuns lived. And uh, my son John was kind of a, my Johnny was kind of a devil, <laughs> but he didn't like one of his teachers. And so one of his teachers wrote a note and said, we think you need to take him to a psychiatrist, you know, and see what's what's wrong with him. So we had Dr. Kinder was our pediatrician in Cape that we'd always gone to. So he recommended we take him over to the university, someone who was a, a psychologist over there. I took him over there. He was eight years old at the time, and he said, leave him with me and go shop for a while and come back. And when I came back, he sent Johnny out, and he said, i got to tell you something. He said, I think you brought me the wrong patient. He said, there's nothing wrong with this boy. If he can sit down, and an eight-year-old can sit down and draw me four-cycle engine and everything that it does, there's nothing mentally wrong with him. Well, come to find out, he didn't like her. So he'd wad up his papers, throw them under his desk, or he'd do anything to irritate her, and he didn't like her. And he made it obvious that Sister Zita, he did not appreciate at all. So, But yeah, the, 
my other kids all went to two or more years of Catholic school, and Joan went the full eight years. They didn't uh, close until she started high school. Yeah. Was there a Catholic high school nearby? But, no. Uh, yeah, Farmington had a high school at that time, yeah. But most of the girls, like the girls in her, her grade, a lot of them went over to Arcadia. Where that right. where the uh, home is over there? That was still a school, a boarding school then. And so the two or three of the girls that were in her same grade, that's where they went. But we decided not to send her over there. But from then on, when they closed the school, they would have someone pick up a nun from over there, and bring her back to Fredericktown, and she would have the classes, the PSR and. You know, the the religious classes is what she would do. And uh, I went many a time on Saturday morning to pick up Sister Joan from the academy over there to bring her back to teach the kids. Like I said, my, my baby, Rob, who died when he was 51, he didn't like school at all. And we had a lot of trouble with him till the fourth grade. In the fourth grade, he got a male teacher, Basil Starkey from Marquand was his teacher, and he became a different child after that. Mm. Basil Starkey told me, he said, I, we all, we're all readers. I'm a big reader. Ruth and Beth and Joan are big readers. All of us are big readers, and, of course, John Paul was. He was the historian around here. It reminds me of something I'll tell you about that. But anyhow, uh, Rob wouldn't read, and so Basil Starkey said, I don't care if you have to buy Lou Brock's book on baseball, a uh, comic book, get this kid to read and then till the day he died he never missed a daily paper he read and and I'm, I'm sure Basil Starkey is what brought him out of it male teacher is what brought him out of it which I you know I thought that was great you know he was my son I, I guess it's okay to tell these things my son was uh, dry-witted like my dad and when he got cancer it was really tough and uh, his little grandson, he had a little grandson by then, who was two years old in October after he was diagnosed in August. Well, he went somewhere and hired a team and wagon to bring to the birthday party to take the kids on hay rides and everything. And my son, was, as I said, was really dry. And he said, Mom, they've got an, a mechanical bull they can put in the back of that wagon for the kids to use. And I said, oh, well, no, somebody will enjoy that. He said, and by the way, Mom, they have a stripper pole they can, they can put in the back of that wagon. I said, Rob, why would you tell your mother that? He said, I thought maybe it's on your bucket list. I said, you know, you're so smart. How do you know I haven't already done that? So, but that's, he was that kind of you know, witty. But one time he called me and I said, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm riding down the highway in my Jeep. I said, okay. And, and he said, I can't even roll the window down. My hair's flying out the window. That's when his hair was all coming off. He said, I'm, I can't even roll the window down. My hair's flying out. So, yeah, he was real, he was like my dad. He was dry like him, too. Of course, John Paul Skaggs was, too. But I started to tell you something that I thought, do you, did any of you know John? Did you know John Skaggs? My husband. Did you? With him quite a bit. Yeah. Well, one Sunday in the bullet, Sunday Bulletin, there was always that interesting saying of some kind. And this one said, when an elderly person dies, it's like burning down a library. And that was John Skaggs. I mean, when he died, it was like burning down 
all of that information. Never a day goes by that I don't think, I wish I'd ask my mother that. I wish I'd ask my dad about that. But you don't think of it when you need to. But him dying was like burning down a library because he was really the historian of the, of the town, of the county, everything, you know. He really worked at it. Well, you're a pretty good librarian yourself. <laughs> well, somewhat, but anyhow. Well, I had a question. Okay, so you had gone to St. Louis and worked there. How long did you work there? A couple of years. A couple of years. Yeah. And did you then, like, come right back, or did you stay there for a while? No, or? no, I married John Skaggs after that. Okay. I had started dating him my okay. senior year in high school, but I went on and went to... Carter Carburetor for not not quite two years. I'll explain why. I married John in April, and uh, I had gone in July a year and a half before. So I was up there over a year anyhow. But yeah, I uh, yeah I came back in April of fifty three when we got married. Yeah. Okay, so that was a pretty short time. Period. Yeah. Well, I I had uh, gone up there before I turned eighteen, and I couldn't work a full shift. Back then, you couldn't work anyone under 18 a full shift. So I had to leave my girlfriend and I, who's even younger than me, uh, we had to leave 15 minutes before everybody else. We had to clock out 15 minutes before everybody else until we turned 18. Mm -hmm. And then I turned 18 in July, and she in November, and then the next April I got married after that. I was 18, not quite. came back. Uh -huh. Yeah, we lived down here. So how, how had you met him? Did you go to school with him? I don't know if you no. told us that. You know Raymond Skaggs? There are three boys, Raymond, Charlie, and John. And John was the oldest. Raymond was my age. Well, he's a little older, but he was in my grade. And the way I got to know John was one night a bunch of us kids, us teenagers from school, it was big snow on the ground, and we wanted to go sleigh riding. And so we all went out to their house, this House that looks like Terra out there on Double O. Looks like a Terra house, big brick, two-story. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's where they lived at the time. So a bunch of us went out there, and John got his pickup and pulled us around, our sleds around with his pickup. And then when we were done, done sleigh riding, we went back to their house, and his mother had a wood stove still in the kitchen as well as another and she had made hot chocolate and all kinds of stuff, and we put our feet in the oven of the stove to get warm. Well, when it came time to go home, John offered to take me home. The other kids, I don't, I don't even remember what they did, but he offered to take me home. And from then on, we started dating shortly after that. And we dated, and see, he was 10 years older than me, so that didn't set very well with Raymond, who was my age. Uh -huh. And, or my parents either for a while, but it, it got to be okay. Is that considered dangerous to pull sleds in the dark uh -huh. with a truck? A rope with a pickup. <laughs> and I was on one of the sleds. Are you all familiar with uh, Village Creek Road, what you call Village Creek Road, and that curve out there where there's a big house right over here, what used to be Marvin Cooper's house? Well, John was pulling, pulling me and Bill Pridey on a sled with a rope from his pickup and dumped us in that ditch over there. <laughs> but And I talk about wet, cold, and everything, so we went back to the house and stuck our feet in the stove, you know, and that's what, that's how John and I met to begin with. I'd known Raymond all that time and didn't like him. 
Raymond and I did not like each other at all through high school, but anyhow, that didn't matter. But well, have... okay, so I had a question. Um, so you had gone to St. Louis, you stayed there for a year and a half to two years, you mm -hmm. came back, you married John Paul, and at that point, you you were here. The two yes, you stayed yes, here and raised your yes, family. Yeah. Okay. okay, now you. You said you know where the house that looks like Tara is, mm -hmm. okay. the little house next door to it. Right. That was ours. Okay. And that's where we lived until we had uh, four children, and it was too little. And they had a farm that their farm helper had decided to leave, and we moved out at Village Creek on a farm, and we lived there until... Uh, Rob, my youngest one, was five when we moved into town, and we lived in a big brick down behind... Uh, well, you know where Sid Skaggs's office is? The mm -hmm. Okay, there's a brick across the street and down the street. We lived in that big brick for several years. It'd be Maple Street, but now it's... Uh, is it not part? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's why Now it's part, but when we lived there, it was Maple Street. Mm -hmm. And then we moved up on Maple Drive, which is a cul-de-sac up there uh, across from the New York Bank uh, satellite place. Is but, the brick house still there on Park? Oh, yeah. Where you lived? Uh, yeah. So it's Park and College? No, it's up from College. It's almost at, at Park and, and West Main. There's a house on West Main, facing West Main, and then ours is behind that one, facing Park. The big brick. It's a big brick facing Park. Okay. We lived there until, uh, I thought it was 11, until 70, I believe, and we bought a house up on Maple Drive, which is the dead end circle up you know circle drive up there and we lived on the right side at the end of it and then dr tenons were there and then dr bryson's were over here we had a nice little neighborhood down there the tenons had two girls and bryson's had two girls and a boy and then i had mine so we put a swimming pool in the backyard so we had a sign that we put up if the sign had a green flag on it flag was flying it's okay to come over and swim if we had a red flag flying nobody was coming around right. so and dr michaelis lived in the house behind us kind of in the end of wood avenue and he had three little kids so we had kids in the backyard all the time we had a and and a raccoon uh. one of my daughters brought a raccoon home one she and her dad were out one sunday and they saw a dead mother raccoon and a baby raccoon. Well, she couldn't stand it. She brought that raccoon home. So my dad built a huge cage with a tree branch through it so that for the raccoon. But she'd bring the raccoon in the house and he'd drink out of the toilet in our family, down in the family room. But she had braids and she'd go downtown with that little raccoon wrapped around her neck. Walk downtown, all kinds of things. He was Rocky was a real pet, but when he got when he got one time there was about fifteen kids in the backyard playing ball and he bit her. So Dr. Bryson, the veterinarian, said, "Well, you know, it's mating season. We don't need to leave him here. We'll keep him pinned up to make sure he's not you know, dangerous." And so we took him, cage and all, out to Millstream Gardens, and put the cage under a tree out there with the door left open. And a few times we went out and we'd find him, but then finally you know, he was gone from there. But she went out to visit him real often. And she brought all kinds of things home with her. She had these newts, these, these, some kind of a thing that's a newt. Yeah. Well, it was down in our basement in a jar in, in our family room. And one morning I went down and they weren't there. And so she was at school. 
And if you know how scared I am of anything that crawls. And so I got on the phone. I called high school, and this Mr. Smith, who was the principal at the time, nicest man in the world. But I told him, I said, I need to talk to Donna. And he said, well, she's in class now. And I said, when she comes out of class, you have her call home. And he said, what's the problem? Can I help? And I said, well, yeah, the newts are missing. <laughs> and I'm locked in the bathroom because I don't know where the newts are. He said, well, no, he, I said, I don't know where they are. He said, well, I'll tell you what, go lock yourself in the bathroom and get in the bathtub, stand in the bathtub, because they can't crawl up the side, as if he knew what they were talking about. Well, when they had her call back, she let them out the night before, outside. She oh. just turned them loose, but she failed to tell me, and I thought the noose were there in the house with me, and that wasn't, that wasn't proper. I couldn't do that. Listening to these stories from you, I almost feel as if, the movie, Please Don't Eat the Daisy, it could have been made about <laughs> it your could, life. It could have been. It was interesting. I've had, uh, we had a lot of problems. I haven't talked about a lot of problems. My, when my son, John, was 13, he was playing baseball and slid into base and got hurt, and we thought he just pulled something. Well, come to find out, the top of his hip bone, the cap on the top of his, was sliding off, was dislocated. He was 13 years old, and we went to St. Louis, and Dr. Lord was the surgeon. He said, we have to go in and take stainless steel pins called a slip epiphysis is what it was. So, okay, we did that, 13 years old, on crutches, going to high school, kids making fun of him and all that kind of stuff. And a year later, he started having trouble again, and I said something, and he said, no, it's the other leg. So we went back to Dr. Lord, and they called me in the office after that, and both of them were crying. Even Dr. Lord, he said, no, it's the other leg. has done the same thing. It's coming apart. Well, he had like 16 operations after that. He had operation after. And he was going to high school, and I'd take him to school, and he was on crutches. And there was a group of boys that invariably hollered, oh, what's the matter with you, Skaggs? Can't stand on your own feet, and Mom has to help you. Well, there was a young man finally came out to the car one day, and he said, uh, "Miss Skaggs, can I can I help John? Can I carry his books and help him so you don't have to do all that?" I said, "Sure." Well, come to find out, that boy went to prison for something later. He was he was a roughneck, mm. but he said they won't bother him anymore. I guarantee you that, and they didn't bother me. His name was Cy Merriman. Mm. You know who that is, right? Mm. Well, anyhow, this young guy was in John's grade, and from that day on, he carried his books and helped him in school. And the time he got out of school, he was a rebel. I mean, he did all kinds, and he went to prison. And I said, don't tell me there's not some good in everybody, because there was yeah. good in him, you know. And uh, he took care of him, and, and John was operated on many, many, many times. His bones started dying, and then he spent his last nine years in a wheelchair. He'd been in a wheelchair nine years when he died. So we had our ups and downs. Sure. We really had our ups and downs. Anyway, I've probably said enough. This has been really great. Good. Wow. I'm glad you've enjoyed it.